when people heard it, they didn't, I, I'm sure they didn't know where we was from. They never hung with us before. But they could listen and say, yo, two motherfuckers been through that shit. You know what I mean? Or they, they around, you know what I mean? They, it was, it couldn't have been like some record company people grab two guys together and say, hey, let's make a street album. Like, nah, it wasn't that. It was real experiences. And when you put that kind of formula together, it creates a body of work that's gonna last forever, like a Mozart piece. I think hip hop will always be a void for the people. Hey everybody, I'm Reggie Williams, and with me is Jake Payne. We are Ambrosia for Heads, and welcome to our podcast, episode four of What's the Headline? Today, we've got a very special guest joining us. We've got Havoc from Mob Deep here to join us and talk to us about the 25th anniversary of their landmark album, The Infamous. Jake, what do you think about having Havoc on the show? Man, it's a it's a great place for us to have our first guest. Um, you know, Havoc's been an avid supporter of Ambrosia for Heads, and our readers love this album. Um, they love Mob Deep, everything that Havoc and, and Prodigy, God Bless the Dead, you know, touch. It's um, it's epic. So this is this is it. Yeah, man, me too. I, I, I'm mad excited from the, the moment that you told me this was going to happen. I've just been like, you know, ready because it's one of my favorite albums. One of my favorite albums, period, not qualified by hip hop. I would put it up there with The Chronic, uh, Low End Theory, Illmatic in terms of its impact, in terms of its longevity. You know, I think yeah. it's it's an album that endures sonically and also just the way that it changed the direction of hip hop, man. Like, um, you had some music out there that was dark, like, you know, um, you know, Illmatic was definitely kind of fell into that category with certain songs, 36 Chambers did too. But this really just created a new sonic texture for hip hop. And, you know, um, it's just an unbelievable album to me. Yeah, it gave New York a different identity too. I mean, you were living there at the time and I'm sure that it kind of celebrated New York's underbelly, you know, as Giuliani was there and, you know, about to come in and there was a, there's a tug of war over whose city was it, you know, having P made it look like a thug's playground. Yeah. You know, it dropped actually, it dropped when I was still in Boston, I was still in law school. Okay. It's my last year in law school, but um, you know, it was that kind of peak time for rap city. And I remember like, you know, watching that video for like um, shook ones and seeing like, you know, the, 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 the stove igniter, like just hearing that yeah you know like uh, uh it was always a perennial like staple in the rhapsody top 10 i watched it every friday night at like um at like midnight i think it was 11 o'clock or midnight and a lot of my favorite music was introduced me to that uh through that uh players ball by outcast um the roots uh distortion of static i remember looking for that single for like two months and finally mm. finding it in this like record store, the Tuck in Central Square, I found the cassette version. Like, um, and then this one was uh, this one, Mass Appeal. Like, it just like that whole era is, yeah. is, is associated with this for me. I remember where I was the first time I heard Up North Trips, which was the first Mob Deep song I heard, and uh, you know, a, a focal point of this album. And yeah, just the energy is great. Um, been listening to it a lot, preparing for this conversation today, and this is just a great place for uh, for our new you know, podcast interview series to go. Yeah, for real. Oh, hold on one sec. Um, this is Hav right now. Let me, uh, cool. let me grab him. What's good, guys? My bad. Havoc, yeah. thank you for joining us, man. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, this we're in Brochure for Heads, as you know. Uh, this is our new podcast called What's the Headline? And you're our yeah. first guest ever. We cannot be happy. Oh, I feel honored. Thank you. Oh, man, the honor is all ours. Honor is all ours. So we're here to talk about a pretty incredible anniversary you got coming up. Uh, 25 years of the infamous. Yes, indeed. Yes, yeah. indeed. 25 years. So, you know, at that time, man, when you were making an album, what did you think your life would be like 25 years later? Could you even, like, imagine that at that time? Yeah, at that time, like, we was just, you know, living day by day, just enjoying the success. I, I I I never really gave it a thought about 25 years later because it was just inconceivable to me at the time, you know what I'm saying, with all the things that was going on, you know, people, you know, dying, getting killed, and, you know, things like that. We just happy to live day by day. Yeah, yeah. 
you know, in terms of your day-to-day life, back then, man, people don't even, it's, it's been a while, but people don't remember that you had to go and dig in the crates for records, right? So what yeah, were some that, of your, what were some of your favorite record stores for buying records when you made the album? Oh, man, like, uh, some of the rec- favorite record stores that I, I like to go to was um, uh, ABC Records in the Lower East Side, uh, and then just anywhere where, I would just be like, if I was in another country in like Amsterdam, you know, I'll just go digging anywhere. I'll just ask the promoters like, hey, where's, where's the vinyl shops? And I would just go there. I didn't have like one set particular place. But there also, also, I used to go to the vinyl conventions, like the record vinyl conventions that they used to have. And uh, that's where, you know, I picked up a, a break from, um, for Shook Ones mm. on this, on this, uh, this vinyl called Vinyl Dogs, because they used to always have these uh, record conventions where a lot of the producers used to pop up there, like, you know, Large Professor, Diamond D, Lord Finesse, Pete Rock, all of them. So, you know, I used to be, you know, going in there, also getting vinyl. And how many you know, records... Um, <laughs> sorry, I have one more question to you before you jump in. Um, how many records do you think you had to listen to in order to make the album? Man... <laughs> hundreds if not thousands like you know what i mean it 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 you really got to dig that's why they call it digging because you you're just not gonna find it on the first surface right there you gotta you gotta go in and find so i i would say hundreds of records hundreds close to thousand were you searching for a specific sound did you already have in your head what the sound of the album was going to be or how did you go about selecting the sounds when you put it together i didn't you know in my mind i didn't have a specific sound that I was looking for, it just had to sound good, you know what I mean? Something that I could, you know, throw over some drums that, you know, to get a good rhythm going, you know what I mean? And, um, you know, more more than not, I always was drawn closer to, you know, the darker sounding records, you know what I mean? Or, you know, I would take a record that you wouldn't even imagine and that it would sound like the way that I would have it end up being, you know what I mean? Because, you know, sometimes I would slow it down, filter it, and just make it sound grimy. You mentioned, uh, you mentioned, you know, dark records. How much do you think that was a reflection of just the way you saw life and New York City at that time? It was a major, <clears throat> major uh, reflection. Uh, it was, it was the mood. It was, you know, the atmosphere. So, you know, I wasn't there, you know, looking for no Mr. Rogers records, you know what I mean? I was I was yeah. I was trying to find the darkest, sinister sound that I could, you know what I mean? Because it wasn't really nothing happy about, you know, what was going on. The only the only happy thing about it was we had a record deal and the opportunity to make an album. So being that we was given that platform, it was like, all right, we're gonna we're gonna speak uh, you know, our reality. No, you had Q-Tip, I know, was um, heavily involved in production, too. Yeah. Um, you know, Tip, Tip's sound was very different at that time, you know, very jazzy. A mm-hmm. lot of it was really bouncing and upbeat. But when he did tracks for, with, with you, like, he really kind of meshed in with your style. Like, how, how, did, how did that go down? What was your partnership like? Um, with, with Tip, you know, I, I always was a fan of Q-Tip, of Tropical Quest, and... Uh, you know, I really was a fan of mainly his drums was just crazy. So when he got involved with the project, I already knew that we 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 had a god working with us. You know what I mean? And uh, it was it was it was a learning experience working with him. You know, because I didn't really know much about production other than just you know winging it at the time and and what I thought was the way to produce. So working with him was like a, 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 a teaching moment. I, I, was, I was like, I was in class, you know what I mean? And, and um, he didn't try to come off as if, as if he knew it all or he was cocky. He was just there, you know, trying to show me the ropes. And I absorbed it quickly, you know, because I, I really wanted to be that producer or as at least good as him. So what were some of the things you learned from him? Well, you know, mainly how to, you know, chop the drums, you know, how to place the drums, um, how to finesse samples, 
you know, um, you know, filtering and things of that nature, but mainly making those drums tight. Because once those drums is tight, you could almost put anything over it and make it sound good, you know what I mean? And we wasn't, I wasn't there trying to pick any wax samples. So if I knew if I could get those drums tight, the way that him and Lars Professor and all of them was doing, then I was good. Was there a specific moment, you know, on the re-release, on the deluxe edition, there's this amazing 1995 skit where you guys talk about how production was the main change from Juvenile Hell. Like, you guys really went yeah. back and worked on your sound. Was there a specific moment for you where you realized, like, I am a great producer, you know, and, and I got this? Um, you know, I, I usually, <clears throat> um, at a fault, I give myself... Uh, not that much credit. I never really pat myself on the back. I, I, I try to remain humble. Um, far as saying that I was a great producer to myself, I always say that I'm a high producer. You know what I mean? That and 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 when I realized that I was okay producer, is when I was able to do the whole Infamous album. You know what I mean? I mean with with the help of Q Tip. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Of course, on a, on a few songs, but in the, in, able to do that body of work. And in addition to that, when I was being asked to produce other artists, you know what I mean? I, that never even meant entered my mind, you know, when I was producing the, the infamous album, I, I just was doing it for us. And then when, when I got that first check, you know what I mean? For producing for somebody else, I was like, yeah, I must be okay. You know what I mean? <laughs> it was yeah. a surprise to me. Do you remember what the first, like, was it Big Noid? Was it somebody else, that first call you got after? Was it, uh, it was written? It was, it was, it was definitely, uh, you know, Noid, because he was immediately in the crew. But outside of the crew, I think one of the first records I produced for somebody, it probably had to be for, like, maybe Foxy Brown or something like that. Mm -hmm. You know, The Promise. Yeah, so, you know, Chris Lighty was on board, and he hooked it up, and I was just happy to be doing it. So, you know, your first album, Juvenile Hell, did not do like what you guys wanted it to do. You guys ended right. up, you know, getting dropped on the label. Did you feel increased pressure in making, you know, this album? And, and if so, like, why did, why did you decide to take on that extra pressure of producing it yourself? So, yeah, the Juvenile Hell album, it didn't do so good. And, you know, we was more hurt than anything. The pressure definitely was on, and it wasn't outside pressure. It was pressure that we put on ourselves because we knew that this second shot that we got, if we didn't do what we needed to do, then we wouldn't have no third chance. You understand? We was lucky enough that somebody noticed the diamonds in the rough on the Juvenile Hell album and even gave us a shot, and that guy was Steve Rifkin. He, he, he took a risk, made a bet, and the bet paid off. What do you think he heard? I mean, um, was, do you think that without him having had Wu, which was starting to move in that direction with the darker textures and everything, do you think that he still would have been able to grasp what you guys wanted to do? Or how, how influential do you think that was? Um, I think he, I think he would have still been able to do it. I don't know how good, I, you know, who, who knows. But what I can say is that he had a vision, and that vision was to find passionate artists and let them do what they wanted to do and not control them. That was his vision, and he would take it from there and put in his heart and soul behind the project, and that's what he did. You know, Steve Rifkin recently did an interview on Drink Champs, and he was talking about Scott Free and Matt Life coming to him, coming to him really excited about what you guys were doing. Um, yeah. You know, they got executive producer credits on the album. You know, apart from the business side of being maybe the plug between y'all and Loud Records, what was their creative input like from those two guys? Man, I mean, they, you know, to be honest with you, the album probably wouldn't have sounded like it sounded if it hadn't been for them too, because they really put in a lot of input. You know, you have to remember, I'm a fresh new, brand new uh, producer. You know what I mean? I really don't know too much of what I'm doing, but I, I know what I want to do. So they would 
come in and, and give me little tips. You know what I mean? They weren't producers either, but they but they were the ears, you know what I mean, of the streets, so to speak, or ears of other producers. They know what they wanted to hear. So they would give me little tips here and there. They would challenge us on making better verses, doing different versions of the beat to certain songs. So they really challenged us and shook it up where we came with that final body of work. Because if it hadn't been for them, we probably would have had a different version of that album. Mm. So you mentioned the influence they had. Um, besides Q-Tip, who were some of the other producers who were influencing you at that time? Oh, man. Pete Rock, uh, Large Professor, Primo, um, Molly Maul. Um, yeah, it was, it, was, it was a few of them, but those were like the main ones. Do you, um, you feel that because you're so respected as a producer that sometimes you don't get enough credit as an MC? You know, I look at, I was listening today to your verse on Up North Trip, which is just amazing, you know, and, you know, you've been doing it so long. Do you feel like one sometimes eclipses the other? Absolutely. And, you know, but it's something that, you know, I keep to myself. I don't cry of it. I don't whine over it because yeah. at least I'm being liked for something. And if anybody you know recognizes like hey havoc uh you know you're a, you're a, you're a dope mc too Do, are you still there yeah we lost your video though yeah let me, uh, okay there, okay, we, there we, we got yeah. you back yeah <clears throat> yeah it's, uh, you know a- absolutely but you know i take it with a grain of salt because you know i be writing my heart out you know what i mean uh, when i'm when i'm uh when i'm writing and when you have uh you know, another dope MC next to you, one, one which I consider the best, talking about Prodigy, you got to be on your A game, you know what I mean? But somewhere along the line, me producing and rapping at the same time, I don't, I, I, I think people didn't want to give me both of the credits, so they just turned me into a producer. So I never complained. I just was like, all right, yeah. I'm the producer, you know what I mean? But Real heads to know that, like, yo, have he spit and he make beats, you know what I mean? And and I think that's one of the things I have to pat myself on the back for because it's 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 hard when you have to make the beat and then you gotta you know write as well, you know, to do because this is is I'm not gonna say it's easy being an MC, but when you don't have to worry about making the beat, you could be that much more creative with the lyrics mm. and and vice versa. You know what I mean? Like when you just a producer and don't got to worry about spitting, you can make the illest beat in the world. So I feel like I I, I kind of told the line in between the two. I never ever thought that I was the best producer in the world because I de- to me I wasn't, but I was able to hang in there with the best of them. Mm. You know. So uh, you know, what was your creative process? What came first, the, the music or or the, the the rhymes, the beat or the rhyme? Um, the the beat, yeah. the beat definitely came first because the beat was was my guide. So I would make the beat, and the beat would tell me which direction to go. Like, and and every once in a blue moon, I could come up with a line in my head and be like, okay, cool. But I won't be able to finish it unless if I had that guide of a beat. So then, what what beat was it that set that tone for what the album was going to be? Um, early on, you know, Shook Ones was like one of the first beats I made for that album. Um, so even though, like, I I wouldn't say that, you know, uh, the other, the rest of the songs on the album, uh, sounded like Shook Ones, maybe in, 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 in a vibey kind of way, you know, kind of ominous dark or whatever, but that kind of set the tone and it gave me the confidence that I needed to, you know, proceed to make the other bodies of work. Absolutely. I always thought it was so ill, like how survival, you know, the fittest and shook ones, like that's the ultimate one to punch on an album. Like you, you can't kind of play one record without playing the other outside of the album. 
So it makes sense that all the other things fell into place after Shook Ones too. Yeah, it did because, you know, you make a Shook Ones and you're like, oh, that's dope. Okay, let's make another one. Then I make Survival of the Fittest. You know what I mean? <laughs> and it's like, yeah, it's, it's the one too. I mean, you know, uh, I think, you know, the stars was lined up and Shook Ones brought a confidence level that had me in Prodigy creating like crazy. You know, so you talk about Shook Ones. You, you use some really incredibly inventive sampling techniques. You know, you mentioned the filters. You were slowing down things, changing the pitch. Uh, with the Shook Ones, you're recording the igniter on your stove. Like, wh- what did you draw the inspiration to, to, to sample those kind of things? Um, I always look to my environment for inspiration. You know what I mean? Um, you know, you hear the clicking, sound like the hi <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. It's just in the stove. Um, you know, you 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 hear you know you hear a lot of different things. You know, um, in in your in your element wherever you at. It don't just have to be the hood. You know, for anybody wherever you at. For artists, what we do is we we gather information from our environment, and then we incorporate it into the uh, music. Mm-hmm. So what was your guys' process, you know, uh, when, when it came to writing? You know, did one of you typically lead and the other one, like, you know, would, would follow with, with the verse, the master, like, how, how did that work? Um, it, it, it was, I would say that it was like that, you know. Um, usually we would just have a beat and uh, we wouldn't have no topic yet. And I guess whoever finished first, you know what I mean, you know, would come up with with the theme in the in the, in, the, in the hook um so like let's just say prodigy if i finish his verse verse first and he'll run into the booth i'm like all right that's dope no 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 particular subject matter and as he's doing that i'm like oh i got a dope hook for that you know what i mean because after i'm hearing it now i now i see where he at now i know what kind of hook i could write and sometimes Prodigy would just already have a hook already before anybody recorded anything and, and we'll go that direction. So it, it, it kind of worked both ways with both of us, you know, um, with going, uh, creating a direction of the song. I think we were so much on the same page that we didn't even have to even talk about a direction. We already knew once we heard the beat, we were like, we know where we're going, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I, we just knew each other that well. Mm-hmm. You mentioned like how environment inspired the art. You know, throughout the album, you talk about 12th Street and your 12th Street crew. Um, you know, who was that? Was that what became Infamous Mob, Annoyed, or was it more like, you know, tell me about it. I mean, 12, the 12th Street crew was really big. A lot of names that you wouldn't even recognize if I told you, mm-hmm. you know, but it was, it was a conglomerate of us on the block. Some people not from the block, on another block, you know, but within Queensbridge. Uh, but the immediate crew definitely was Noy, Twin, Nitty, and Godfather. Was you know was the immediate crew. We mm-hmm. pulled them in. They wanted to become uh, you know MCs, and you know we gave them the platform to do it. But yeah. that definitely was they they and not not only was they just a crew, but they they gave you know that they 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 kept the vibe around. You know what I mean? While we was in the studio. You know, they would, you know, have have input, you know, like just the vibe, you know what I mean? Yeah. And, and, you know, with that said, I'm just curious, you know, as we talk about this album being a timepiece for New York and Queensbridge and Queens, what does what does 12th Street look like today? What does that park look like? I mean, when was the last time you drove through there? Um, I was there, uh, what, five days ago? OK. Um, it, 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 it looks shockingly the same. Mm. You know what I mean? But it's just a different era. And, you know, I, I feel like I'm in a, a a dream when I drive through there. You know what I mean? Because it's just so many years ago that I was actually living there. You know what I mean? And there every day, you know, uh, dreaming to leave, you know, for, for a better place. Like, I, I love the hood. Don't get me wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, But it, it looks shockingly the same, man. And I think another 25 years later, it probably still looked the same. The only difference I saw was the basketball courts 
they enhanced they put enough shot clocks on them you know what I mean? oh wow okay <laughs> yeah so you know that was probably just the biggest difference that i that i recognized you know with that said like you know p has that line no matter how much loot i get i'm staying in the projects that, that you know that, oh that was, excuse me i'm forgive me yeah <laughs> that, that was 100 percent you you know did the hunger pains help the sound i mean obviously mob deep was successful you know throughout still are but like do you see a correlation between being young hungry in the parks and you know the art that you made uh absolutely you know being hungry is a great motivator you know what i mean um starving artists create their, their their best bodies of work we was hungry literally figuratively just like we wanted to be successful and you know we just tried our best just to, to make it happen and that hunger just it spoke through our lyrics you know what i mean it just it just it just it it's can't bust right through so you know big lord was on three songs and mm-hmm. five if you count like some of the some of the, the, the songs we recorded back then like it's all right and the bridge Mm-hmm. What was it about his style that made you guys want to incorporate him into the album as much as you did? I mean, he was like the wild kid from the block. You know what I mean? No, he was a wild boy. He just was like, you know, he was just he was just a, a ball of energy. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, Prodigy was laid back. I was laid back. But Noy was like that ball of energy. You know what I mean? Like on the mic and on stage. And that was something that we could not ignore or let go. So we 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 brought him in. I I loved his lyrics. I lo- I loved his personality, everything about him. To this day, uh we tour together. Mm. So Ghost, I know Ghostface and Raekwon were also, you know, on, on a, a couple tracks too. Uh was that because you guys were on the same label or did you pick them specifically for the album? Um, it, it was just ironic. Even if they wasn't on the label, those would have been two dudes we would have tapped to be on the album. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, I love the whole Wu-Tang and everybody individually for what they bring to the table. But for whatever reason, it was me and Prodigy connected with them first. You know what I mean? Um, I guess because Raekwon and Ghost, they almost seemed like a duo. You know what I mean? And that that was something that we was like aspiring to be, you know, like the way they was doing. And we, we tapped them. So I would say yes and no. Mm. You know, there's a, a completely different version of I4 and I on the um deluxe edition. You know, yeah. um same with Gimme the Goods. Were those which ones were, were the originals? The ones that made the albums or the or the um the the, the add-ons? The the one on the deluxe uh, versions are the originals right. and the modifi- modified ones are the ones that ended up on the, the final album. Mm-hmm. And what, what did you, why did you decide to go in a different direction with those songs? Um, you know what, to be honest with you, that was more of a, uh, A&R decision and, and, and Prodigy had probably had a little bit of input on that. I was just like, yo, look, look, let me make the beats. Let's get these guys on the album. Whatever version y'all want, cool. You know what I mean? I didn't really want to even dive into that part. I trusted their decision at that point. Yeah. You know, the temperature is rising remix, too. That one is interesting because it keeps the essence of it, but the pitch is, like, completely different. Like, right. what, what was the process behind that? You know, I was like, uh, uh, Q-Tip had gave me the sample for the original one, right? And, um... People, the the song was so well received that we was like, yo, let's let's remix it. You know what I mean? I'm like, all right, cool. You know, I didn't know nothing about uh, you know um, notes and pitches and all of that. I just went and grabbed some sample, put it behind it. It sounded good. I was like, all right, let's go. Let's remix. You know what I mean? I, you know, I wasn't classically trained in music. It was just whatever sounded okay to the ear at the time. Yeah, I mean, you talk about eye for an eye, and it's amazing. There's footage we we shared it recently on on our Instagram page 
of all you guys with Nas, with Ray on Yo! MTV yeah. Raps. And, you know, back then it didn't seem like a lot of artists were doing that. Like they might make a collabo, but to go to TV with it, did you get the sense that everybody wanted Mob Deep to win? Because, I mean, Nas was coming off of Illmatic, Wu was coming off of all what they had done. But that moment in time is just so tremendous and authentic and genuine. You know, everybody wanted everybody to win. You know what I mean? But you had to want to win for yourself to win. You know, they wasn't going to co-sign no BS. You know what I mean? <laughs> and along the way, they they was helping us, give a, giving us that push visibly as well as lyrically. Like, you know, going on, a, you know, a young TV raps and just all being in, you know, now looking back on the moment, it's like, what a what a rare moment. You know what I mean? To just have us all four there, just, you know, like we hang out every day. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and obviously, you know, we we haven't directly acknowledged it, but obviously, you know, uh, we're without Prodigy now. So, you know, rest in peace. Yes. Uh, you know, how has that been for you? You know, this must be a bittersweet time because one, it's a milestone, but, you know, you lost your partner, you know? Every day leading up to the 25th anniversary, even before that, I started thinking about the 25th anniversary and I was just, you know, thinking to myself how monumental it was, but how bittersweet it is at the same time. I mean, it's 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 not a real celebration to me, you know what I mean, without, you know, my friends being here to chime in. You know what I mean? And I, I just feel this weird responsibility to hold us both down and represent us both and not, you know, trying to make it all about me and my experiences and try to incorporate how Prodigy felt, how he would feel if he was here. It, it's just not going to be, none of the anniversaries are going to be the same without him. You know, it, 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 it's, Anything that I say right now would be an understatement and a and a and a lack of words. You know, to, to say that you know I you know I miss him, he'll be missed, and it's just it, it's it's beyond that. Like it's just it's like unbelievable. But you know we have to deal with reality, and that's that's a part of life. But it's like you know I ask myself like, damn, like why? Like you know what I mean? We all know that we all gotta go, but I just feel like it was too soon. You know what I mean? Not now. Like we gotta, we gotta celebrate our quarter real quick. You know what I mean? And um, so I, you know, I I feel I'm not gonna say you know guilty, but I feel bad. You know what I mean? Like, cause I really, really, really want him here. You know, when I think back about when we first started, you know, doing talent shows in the auditorium in high school. And to what we did to now, you know, and through the little bit of problems we may have had, because that's what brothers go through. It's just, I just, you know, it, it, it makes me, it makes me sad. You know what I mean? But I, but you know, I, I gotta stay strong. You know what I mean? But it is, it, it's, it's difficult. You know, what are some moments that you can remember back to at that time that that uh, that are special moments that you that you remember that make you laugh? You know, that uh, are you need to this. Oh man, I I I remember when you know being in school, in high school, and Prodigy wanted to cut out, and uh, he did something where he made it possible to make it have a fire alarm in the school, <laughs> and uh, and I remember him telling me before he was gonna make this happen, and when we finally had the fire uh, alarm and we all all the whole school had to come out to school. I was like, yo, this motherfucker really did it. <laughs> and, you know what I mean? And I finally, I saw him and I'm looking at him like, yo, you fucking crazy. Like, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And, and yo, we used to always just be cutting out all of the time, all in the name of trying to make it in music. You know what I mean? Like, we really knew that we was going to make it in music because we was just like, really fuck school. Looking back on it now, you know what I mean? I wish I had stayed in high school of course um but I don't think I think some people have they know their path you know and they and they're confident in their path and he was confident and I just remember that time of him doing that and that's just one of the moments I'll never forget ever in my life 
What gave you that confidence? How did you, how did y'all know back then that, that you were destined to do this? I think it's a, I think it's a, 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 a fearless young thing, you know, because I think the older we get, the more doubt we start to place on ourselves. But when you're young and fresh, you're only 14 and 15 years old, you ain't really been through nothing too much. It's nothing that you're really scared of stopping you placing doubt. You know what I mean? So we just we we just knew. We was like, why if they could do it, we could do it. You know what I mean? We didn't have the blueprint, but we knew that, all right, let's make a demo. Let's go to... Def Jam or wherever, and you know, just do it like that. We knew we was, we knew we, we was confident. So, if anybody didn't think we was good, we thought we was good. Mm. Yeah. So, was there any point in time when you were making the album that you thought that you were making a classic? And if not, wh- when did you realize that you had made a classic? And at no point in time making that album did I think I was making a classic. Right. That that would have probably been like a self-centered idea at the time. I, I, I was shook, you know what I'm saying? No pun intended. I was like, you know, I was like, I was like, yo, I got to get this right. We got to get this right. You know what I mean? And, you know, we just, I, I think putting so much of our heart into it, it turned it out to what it would be then and now. You know what I mean? Because when you put that much uh, heart and soul into a project, it's going to come through that, that, that energy is going to come through the songs and people are going to be like, yo, like when people heard it, they didn't, I'm sure they didn't know where we was from. They never hung with us before, but they could listen and say, yo, the motherfuckers been through that shit. You know what I mean? Or they, they around, you know what I mean? They, it was, it couldn't have been like some record company people grab two guys together and say, hey, let's make a street album. Like, nah, it wasn't that. It was real experiences. And when you put that kind of formula together, it creates a body of work that's going to last forever, like a Mozart piece. You know what I mean? So what point did you know afterwards? Like, you know? Um, you know, probably like, you know, 10 years later. You know, wow. you know, 10, 10 years in people still freestyling over sick ones. I'm like, there's a million beats to freestyle over. Yeah. And when people like still freestyling over it or putting it in movies and I'm like, you know, they, I mean, we still was getting work because of that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's what kind of made me think like, wait, I, I don't think this is a normal song, but let's wait another 10 years and let's see. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah. I don't think it was normal. Was there that, you know how sometimes there's that person who says it to you, who like, you know, there's that legend in your eyes who says, yo, you, you got it. Was there ever that moment? Like oh, from my peers? Or Pete Rock or somebody who oh, you yeah, admire. From, from yeah. yeah, every time I would see one of them, like the, 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 ones, the guys that I looked up to, you know what I mean? Uh, you know, a Primo, a Pete Rock, a large professor, you know, I, you know, who, who all the producers that I looked up to, when they would see me, they would be praising me. Mm. And I'm like, you know what I'm saying? Like, I, I, I made a beat. You know what I mean? I did a beat. I, you know, I made it. I'm like, but y'all, they like, nah, son. <laughs> just, yeah. just, that shook ones, man. You know? And, and, you know, the more and more that they kept saying it to me and telling me, I just had to appreciate it and just learn how to take the compliment. Mm. Yeah. You're no, sitting you in your. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. Uh, one, one, so you mentioned uh, people freestyling over the song. Um, you know, one. I used to work at BET, and one of the biggest moments we ever had with the BET Hip Hop Awards was that cipher when TDE freestyled over Shook Ones. You know, what was your who, reaction? Who? To TDE, uh, Top Dog okay. Entertainment. So you know, Kendrick. Yeah, yeah. And what was your yeah. reaction when uh, you know Kendrick just blacked out over over that beat? I mean. You know what I'm saying? I I felt good. You know what I mean? It it because Kendrick Lamar is such a phenomenal artist, and he showed versatility. You know what I mean? Because he could have rapped to anything. You know, because because he could he could rap to a trap beat, he could rap to a hip hop beat, but they chose that classic joint because when you rap over one of those, 
it just it 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 kind of cements your, you know what I'm saying, standing in the lyrical world. You know what I mean? So I just feel I, I felt blessed and humbled to, to, to see uh Kendrick Lamar just kill kill that track. You're sitting in your studio right now as you talk to us, you know, yeah. what what elements of your process or even your equipment are still the same as they were in, you know, ninety four, early ninety five making the infamous? Okay, I would have to say I still use vinyl. Uh, okay. I don't know if y'all can see that. Yeah. I still I still use vinyl. Um, I still use pads. I still touch the pads. I don't do the whole work in the computer. I still mm-hmm. touch the pads, and I still have a keyboard. So those kind of things are the same. Those elements have never changed for me. You know, I know a lot of producers these days, nowadays, they don't touch a pad, they don't touch a keyboard, they don't do nothing. They just all like this in the computer. I got to feel it. I'm one of those people that I got to feel it. I'm one of those people that, yeah, Amazon is cool, and I like to order stuff, but I need to go to the store, see the clothes, try it on, and then I'm good. I don't like to just order stuff without really knowing how it's going to be. Mm-hmm. Now, we talked about digging earlier. What's your version of digging now? Oh, my version of digging now, um, there's, there's a few guys that kind of, like, do the digging for you, and, you you know, uh, they'll send you, like, three gigs of samples. I got all kinds of people, like, trying to send me samples. So, you know, I don't have to do the uh, – which is not a good thing that I don't have to always go out and dig. But sometimes you don't have time. Um, but digging these days is going through some some folders, through some finder folders, and you know trying to make it happen from there. And then you know the uh, the treat of it all would to actually be digging in a record store. I was just in uh, a one record shop about four weeks ago. Bought like mad crates of records. Crate here. Yeah. Crate here. That's great to see. Word. Part of your legacy, you know, beyond just the music you guys made is how you changed the sound of hip hop. I mean, literally, like, you know, East Coast rap in particular, but not just that, you know. Um, So what do you, how do you feel when you see people like Alchemist and, you know, uh, others who kind of clearly kind of followed in in your footsteps and drew inspiration from you like you did from Pete and Q-Tip and all those other guys? I feel super good about it. You know what I mean? It's like, if I could be uh, an inspiration for anybody, to for a producer to look at and say, yo, you know, I, I kind of enhanced my game off of that. That's like, that's what you, that's what you're here for. You know what I mean? If, if, if your work doesn't inspirate, then you get to need to pick up another job. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so I got one last question, Jake. I don't know if you do, but, uh, you know, five years from now, 10 years from now, 20 more years from now, what do you want the Mob Deep legacy to be? I get, I, I get asked that question uh, often. And, you know, I, I'd have to say I want Mob Deep's legacy to be one of consistency, Right. Because we we have artists that we like that came before us, like a, a you know a James Brown or you know whoever you know the Delphonics whoever whoever you want to pick the Temptations, and we you could follow the career from the beginning to the end, and then you look at the whole body of work, and then you say okay, what 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 was their legacy, and our legacy is I would say that we tried hard not to compromise, and our sounds, we stayed true to it, even through the times of when hip hop was getting super commercial and shiny. We we tried to stay gritty and we stayed consistent. And I hope that that's that'll be Mob Deep's legacy when when twenty years down the line, somebody that wasn't even close to being born listens to it and says, "Hey, these guys over the years they they stuck to their guns." yeah i have uh one more question for you to have is you know last year you put out a record squad up with uh method man and street life and you know single first and then the video just amazing and everything that you're talking about in terms of consistency is true of that you know especially for you 
Um, you know, it would be remiss not to ask you, you know, what do you have going on? Obviously, it's a different kind of year uh, yeah. after the month of March. But uh, what does 2020 hold for Havoc? Um, 2020, um, right now, I, you know, I'm working on a project with Method Man. Uh, that, that should be out soon. Um, I'm trying to put out, a, 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 you know, a, a body of work of my own. But I'm also, uh, you know, trying to produce for other casters out there now, um, getting myself into film music, film and composition, you know, trying to take it to a, a, a different genre, you know what I mean? Um, just to uh, master my craft, period. And, you know, there's a silver lining in everything. You know, I know a lot of people was out there losing their lives, but to those that are staying safe and staying healthy, now is the time to master your craft. Yeah, no doubt. Well, you know, um, I know it's bittersweet for you. Um, I hope that you take some peace in knowing that your guys' music lives forever. You guys will forever live through your music, you know. And thank you. you. You've blessed millions and millions with uh, a masterpiece. So thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah. yeah. Thank you for this, Havoc. We really appreciate you, man. No, th- thank you for, for the interview. And, man, I love y'all guys. Man, Ambrosia for his. For sure, man. All day. Thank you, man. Much love. Respect. All right. Peace. Yo, that was dope, right? Man, that was great. It's always good to, uh, you know, hear what Hav has to say, but he really opened us and uh, he gave us uh, some gems and also some news in there, too, on the project with Method Man. I don't think people realize uh, that. I think that's a, you heard it here first. Yeah, yeah, man. Um you know, it was bittersweet for me, too, doing the interview because, um, you know, I had met him. Um, actually, I met Prodigy when Prodigy did the back room when I was at BET. But then I met both of them when we interviewed them at uh, Brooklyn Hip Hop Festival. I think that was maybe, wow, that was probably five years ago for the 20th anniversary, you know. And mm-hmm. it was amazing just seeing those guys, you know, the, the love that they got. Um, they showed us love. You know, and uh, you know, to not have them both here is definitely uh, a hard thing. But, you know, um, I'm glad to have it. Seems to be taking it okay. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and that uh, there is some joy in the fact that this music will live on, you know? Definitely agree with you. I, um, I first met those guys around the time they were with G-Unit. Um, that I ever spoke to them and I got to interview them over the years in person here in Philly, um, other places. I saw one of the final Mob Deep shows at the Roots Picnic um, just a few weeks before, you know, Prodigy passed away. And I am grateful that this is coming out. I love that a classic album has all of this archival audio and rare um, previously unreleased stuff around it. I hope that that's a trend that we continue to see. And I hope that it's a trend that, you know, current artists take notice of. But um, man, classic album and everything that we're getting to hear around it with this expanded edition is is just dope. Just uh, a, a joy to hip hop heads. Yeah, you know, for those uh, who have not gotten it yet, definitely check out that expanded version. Um, you know, there is an, an ama- amazing amount of music from that era. A lot of remixes, like like I've said, a lot of original takes on tracks that have become classics and. You know, for me, it was just like the Temperatures Rising remix just like, you know, uh, just killed me. I love that. Uh, so, yeah, there's something on there for, for hardcore hip-hop fans, for sure. So, I got to ask, um, you got a favorite song on Infamous? Yeah, man, you know, it's funny. Um, you actually, you, you referenced it, you know, Up North Trips, I think, is my favorite song on the album. That and Temperatures Rising probably uh the two uh, but you know ship ones uh survival of the i mean really to me the whole album is unskippable you know yeah. um but but up north trips is probably that one i go back to the most how about you man i mean the four that you just mentioned those are it it's it's always those party over that that's probably the fifth but today um just preparing for this interview up north trips you know the minute that baseline starts it's cinematic yeah um and it's just especially speaking to have i mean he he smashed that um you know on on you know as a double threat so yeah that's the that's my answer today and um just a true classic album and a and a gold standard in hip-hop 
Yeah, and music. It bugs me out just to hear him talk about how inexperienced he was as a producer at the time, right? Because, I mean, those beats are are classic and they really did define an entire era. So uh, pretty amazing. I I wonder to, to some degree what role it played in his inventiveness that he didn't feel constrained by, you know, having to stay to technical standards and stuff like that. He just did what he felt, you know. Definitely. And, you know, one of the things, um, Havoc is so loyal. You know, all those guys that worked on the album, you know, are still around. They're still, you know, rapping with and rhyming over Havoc beats. You look at, you know, Twins and the Infamous Mob. And I know Cormega wasn't on the album, but, you know, they're all still like, the infamous MOBB family is still intact. And I love to see that. You talk about Gangstar Foundation and, you know, all the people that Pete Rock was messing with, with I and I and, you know, Grap Lava. I love the fact that 25, 30 years later, these hip hop crews are still running together. It's, it's much bigger than music. Word. Uh, yeah, this is great, man. We got to open it up more. Let's, let's get more guests. Um, I want to invite some of our AFH family into the fold. Got some surprises coming up in that that yeah. regard. Definitely more artists, producers, personalities, you know. But uh, this is good, man. Absolutely. Well, before I let you go, man, I, I wanna I wanna create a theme here. What's what's your song of the week? Wow, man. Uh, song of the week. I'm gonna have to go with uh, the survival of the fittest remix on this mm-hmm. expanded project, man. That has just been. I've been banging that like over and over and over again. How about you? Yeah, you know, it's I've been playing this album so much that might be next week. Um, just in quarantine and in some of the news, I've been playing, I've been revisiting a lot of Nate Dogg for some reason. And uh, Nate Dogg's first album, um, G Funk Volume One and Two, uh, there's a track on there these days, and it was also on Gang Related. It popped up a few places. I don't think Nate Dogg gets enough credit as a solo artist, and I know people love the stuff he did with Dre and Mac Ten, and you know, obviously Warren G. But Nate's solo catalog deserves way more recognition. And that song, In These Trying Times, man, it's just been on heavy rotation for me. Word, man. His voice is the perfect. It's so melancholy. You know, it fits, it fits the mood. So I can dig it. Yeah. Well. Word, man. All right. Dope. Upward and onward. Peace. All right, man. Later.